Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Yeah, this morning, boy, it's kind of tough coming back to this, kind of a, a bittersweet time, um, you know, to come after school and then to have to um, just say goodbye to a dear friend. <laughs> so, better not say too much about that one because I probably won't be able to finish, so take that. All right, let me pray. Lord God, help us turn our hearts toward you to hear what you will speak, for you speak peace to your people and lead them in the truth through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. This morning's text comes from John 10, verses 22 through 30. So I'll give you a second to to find that. This is the word of the Lord. Then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. It was wintertime. And Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I want to begin this morning with with a poem written by a, a close and dear friend of mine. The poem is called A Chosen Disciple. Their home is dark because the electricity is turned off. This is common here. Dishes of warm food cover the small table, however. This is not common. The candle is lit and placed on a saucer. Its light is appreciated more than before. Droplets of rain hit the tin roof. Tap, tap, tap. A roof that has been eaten by rust and time. The rain comes down harder now. He laughs. He's used to sitting in his home wet. The sound of rain is soothing. He's dry for now. The candle burns. We gather around the table and eat the meal his mother prepared. It's delicious. She spoon feeds him and he agrees. It's delicious. 
He's familiar with suffering and with poverty. But he prays for us Americans who have far more than he will ever know. His story is a sad one with twists and turns. With pride he shares anyway, the good and the bad. His speech is slurred and his education minimal. He teaches intellectuals lessons about life and about God's love. A kitten plays around the table. We lean in close to listen. Listen to his praise for God. The candle burns. He cannot hold a pencil. His hands are uncoordinated, but he writes songs. Despite his circumstances, he loves God wholeheartedly, and for God only, he writes his songs. Cerebral palsy has crippled him physically, but his spirit is unrestrained. He sits in a wheelchair, his legs and feet crooked and weak, but he stands taller than I do. Humility creeps into the room unannounced, leaving its mark on those who have ears to hear. He is a vessel. God gives him purpose. He is Melvin. Conversation is good. Hearts are changed. His light shines. Cerebral palsy has crippled him physically, but his spirit is unrestrained. Numerous times I've led groups to the Dominican Republic, and um, part of what we do over there is the, the people that go are encouraged to kind of follow their vocational track. So when we do ministry over there, it's usually connected with, um, say, medical, dental, social uh, services, and there's also a, a physical therapy, a, a special education site. And so part of my duty as the team leader is to kind of schedule my week to go and meet the, the folks that come with us and kind of give them encouragement and see them in the context that they're ministering to. And so I, I go and I make my uh, itinerary for the week and I always schedule those things I really like to do. You know, I'm an artist and I love art, you know, so that's, that's pretty high on my, on my list. And, you know, medical, I, I was blessed with a chance to deliver a baby one time. Um, we, we just wouldn't do that in the U.S., but, I mean, you're front and center. So I, it's craziness, but I love that. And always the last thing on my list is special ed physical therapy. I, you know... It's just a hard place for me to go. And I would avoid it fully if there wasn't a large number of our team that was part of that ministry. Um, I mean, I'm a person who works in uh, broken communities and, and work with broken people in those communities. It's just so hard in that context to see people physically broken. You know, I'm a person who wants to fix them and I can't. And it's just, I, I almost... I hate to say this, but I almost hate to go to that place. But there was no way to avoid it this time. I mean, it's a place of 
gross runny noses, um, smells and sounds. I mean, when I did go there, it felt like I was trapped. You know, my Spanish is not that good, but it made it all the harder with the slurring and just almost indiscernible sounds coming out. Most of their bodies were, were twisted and crippled physically in one way or another. There was one boy who I was introduced to by one of the team. I walked over and he was in his wheelchair and inter- I was introduced to him and his name was Melvin. Melvin, he was the one who has cerebral palsy. I mean, his body is just crooked and twisted. It's just a spiteful disease. And I was standing next to him, and I was talking with that team member, and I could feel Melvin rubbing his hand against my arm. It was very hard to stand there. That team member asked if I would be willing to wheel Melvin around that afternoon, and I guess my silence was an affirmation. And then uh, Melvin made some utterance that I couldn't discern, and that person said, oh, Melvin likes you, and proceeded to take off. Um, I don't know if it's so much in this country, but in the Dominican Republic, those who have physical disabilities are despised. They're looked down upon. They're, They're not valued even as human beings. There's this prevalent idea, and I think it was clear in the Old Testament and maybe the New Testament as well, is is that the parents did something, did something towards God that would would elicit this kind of response. Oftentimes there's violence and disdain directed towards them and their families. This is a twisted kind of thinking. This was a very twisted kind of thinking. He teaches intellectuals lessons about life and God's love. There was also this sense of tension in our text this morning, of being uncomfortable. The Jews were celebrating the Feast of of Dedication, which today we know as Hanukkah. Jesus was walking through the temple, and these people were just pressing him, coming in around him. Jesus again tells them a story about a good shepherd and about this kingdom that was going to turn things upside down. That's controversial. This was made more uncomfortable by those around Jesus. And we can't forget that at the end of the chapter, these same people are the ones who want to stone the good shepherd to death. That's dangerous. There are people who don't hear his voice. Still the crowd presses in tighter. How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Almost defiantly, Jesus replies, I did tell you but you don't believe. The works of my Father should testify to this. You've all seen it, but you do not believe. 
Jesus makes a pretty strong statement here. I did tell you, but you don't believe. You know, when I, when I sense Jesus, I can just picture him making that statement. You know, it, it does sound pretty defiant. I mean, he's replying to a crowd that's pressing him strongly. But through that all, I can just sense the deep love Jesus has for his people. And then the truth rings loud and clear. It's the clear sign of true discipleship. His sheep listen to his voice. He knows them, and they follow him. Jesus referred again and again to this shepherd imagery to remind the Jews that they would have heard his voice had they been true sheep. So my question is for you all right now, do you hear his voice? Can you hear the voice of the shepherd? Back to our story. I wheeled Melvin around the rest of that afternoon, not knowing quite what to say. That was one of the most uncomfortable times I think I've ever experienced on the mission field. On that day, I saw some of the worst behavior in humanity visible in myself. And as I left that afternoon, Melvin's mother came and picked him up. I looked around Genesis that day. That's Genesis in Spanish, the beginning. I looked around that ministry site and witnessed some of the very best that humanity had to offer. There were people showing goodness, people serving others selfishly, selflessly, caring for the needs of strangers instead of hoarding the resource of love for themselves, loving the vulnerable instead of taking advantage of the moment and using it for oneself. I saw this both in the students that attend that site and the people that went along with us on that trip. We need to hear God's voice over the chaos and calamity, all the circumstances, and even ourselves. We need to get beyond everything that reigns so prevalent in our society today. Through all of this, Jesus makes a remarkable and unmistakable promise concerning our security. Jesus tells us this, that his sheep know his voice. His sheep know his voice. I'll say this, though. Not all the words the shepherd has to say are easy ones. Some of the things the shepherd says we don't want to hear. Those words challenge us. Those, those words lead us to places we don't want to go. But this is the same good shepherd who doesn't abandon us when the wolves come. The one who goes after that one lost sheep. 
This is the same good shepherd that assures the physically crippled to be physically unrestrained. Unrestrained by the knowledge of whose hand in which they rest. He will lay down his life for his sheep. We know this. We know this all too well. We know that he did, in fact, lay down his life for us. We'll never, ever know why there's so much pain, why there's so much destruction in this world. All we're called to do is live in the knowledge and put our faith in God. That evening, we were invited to Melvin's house for dinner. We all jumped into a truck and headed down the road. The driver comes to a stop and says, this is it, everybody out. So we stop. I look around. I can't even see a house. All I can see is a little hole cut in the vegetation with a little path leading down the slope. It just started to rain now, and it was getting dark. We made our way down the path, and then you could see a small house, if that's what you want to call it. We made our way inside. There was a candle burning. We walked inside. You could tell Melvin was happy to see us. And he was happy too with the rain. There's another thing his sheep do. And that is they follow him. We're called to do more than just hear his voice. We must act and respond to the voice of the shepherd by bringing hope, by bearing witness, and by the giving of our lives for others. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. They act by putting themselves into places where they can give aid. They can bring hope by picking up the twisted, the broken, and the lost, and covering them like a blanket with a love that's mirrored to us by that of the shepherd. They bear witness to the fact that God never leaves or forsakes under any circumstance. We ate around that table with Melvin and his mother. About halfway through the meal, Melvin started to make some sounds, some kind of utterance that I couldn't quite make out. His mother told us that he writes songs. He writes songs to God, songs of praise. As we listened to those songs, we cried. We cried at the sheer beauty and holiness of that moment. To look at Melvin and just watch him praise God. All we could do was imagine God receiving that praise from Melvin. Melvin. 
how it glorified him. I remember how Melvin in that time reminded me of something. What baptism means to us, that dying to self and that rebirth that comes and the knowledge that comes through baptism that we are held in God's hand. It was so clear that evening. And they shall never perish. This is the true fruit of faith that Christ calls us to be convinced of our security, that we are brought by faith into his fold. We must also realize on what foundation this certainty rests. It is because he will be our faithful guardian of our salvation. For he testifies that our salvation is in his hand. And if that weren't enough, he goes one step further. He says that we will be safeguarded by the power of the Father as well. This is a remarkable passage. We're taught that salvation of all the elect, those who choose to follow him, is no less certain than God's own invincibility. We may be crippled by any number of things physically, but spiritually God calls us to be unrestrained by the knowledge of whose hand in which we rest. Let's pray. Almighty and loving God, we bless you for the gift of your word this morning. Lord, for your security. We pray now for the grace to believe what we have heard and to live in ways that honor you above all. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.